Good morning. How's everybody doing? All right. Thank you. Yeah. Pretty good response. This is this Fair. is it. This, this is the is last, last last time. Weekend. Yeah, and this is the last time to ride a turntable. I'm gonna miss that. Twenty-five times you've got to ride it. Yeah. You know, five services a week, five weeks. Yeah, it's been fun. I've enjoyed. You know, I, and I, this is the last time I really. And I you're looking to nice. Too, I like know. It. You, you know, so they asked if I if I wanted to help, and I said, Oh yeah, I'd love to. Whatever you guys need. And Julie, the people that she kind of handles everything, said, There's only one problem. You dressed like a seventh grade boy, so they got me. They uh, they made me look nice and, and, and they pulled it now. off. Absolutely. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, but it's been fun asking yeah, tough questions and you know uh, tackling. You guys have done a great job. And uh, sadly, this is the last week, so this is the last question you're going to get a uh, you know tackle. But there was a lot of questions that came in. Oh, that's true. And and I I just thought we've got everybody here. We've got a couple minutes, and so I thought why don't we just talk about some of the questions that you couldn't make it to. I'm gotten uh, to get suspicious now. You know, okay. Just, I mean, you know, I, I, I hate putting you on the spot. Oh, yeah, of course you do. Yeah. <laughs> and so I thought we could talk about some of those questions that, you know, people really want to know answers to, but we might Serious have time things. to unpack. Yeah. Yep. It's, the first one's kind of personal, uh, and so I hope you don't mind, but just kind of wanted to tackle something. A lot of people, when they're uh, looking at, at pastors and churches, where to go, you know, this is something they want to know. And so I thought we could just ask it if you're okay with it. Okay. Walmart or Target? That's the that was the question. I mean, you know, for me, I'm a Walmart guy. You know, I mean, Kmart. You know, I have standards. You know, I'm Walmart, not Kmart. But I'm not Target. What, what, I don't think I'm better than do, everybody. Do you realize somebody here can work for Kmart? Yeah. Well, probably not. There's not very many left anymore. Now you've ripped them again. <laughs> See, two times in one breath. Uh, that's why this is my last week. I mean, it could be that that's their that's their job. I yeah, mean, they, they've come yeah. up through the ranks at Kmart. Well, if you're here, if you're working at Kmart, thanks for coming. Uh, and uh, right, right. I'll I'll see you at Walmart because you probably shop there too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, anyway, so. Uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, so Walmart, Target, you know, I didn't know what you. Well, I, I, you know, I don't shop at Target. I stay away from high-end stores. Uh, so that's yeah, high-end stores. Yeah. All right. Well, great. Uh, this other question, uh, kind of controversial. You know, people come down either side of it, and really, the thing is, uh, there just seems like there's not a lot of answers on this. And so I was wondering if you could kind of give us a straight answer on what you think. But a lot of guys have been wondering. A lot of people have been asking. Is there going to be bacon in heaven? Because mm. that's the thing I just didn't know. I mean, technically Jesus was Jewish, so I don't oh, know where so he lands on I that. I thought this was like an Atkins Dot question. No. You're asking a theological Theologically, question, right? I just I wasn't sure of that. I mean, it, I think it should be, so but I wasn't you. sure. I, you know, I only have one dream about heaven in my whole life, and, uh -huh. and there was potato salad and Diet Pepsi. Hey. So that's the only thing I can authoritatively say. There you go. Yeah, right. uh, last question. This, this, this question has split churches. Uh-oh. <laughs> KU or K-State? That, that was the question. <laughs> You don't have to answer that one. Uh, uh, you know what? I tell you what. How about we tackle question number one? I'll, I'll, I'll I'm going to miss you next week, yeah, too. I'm going to miss it. Yeah. We're going to start the greatest series I've ever been part of. <laughs> yeah. Are you sure you don't want to be part of yeah. Jonah? It's Jonah. I've been replaced by a fish, so that's yeah. kind of depressing. But, uh, but yeah, it's going to be great. It's, it's going to be great. I can't right. wait. Well, thanks, Mark. Appreciate Thank you, it. Question You've done a wonderful one. job. Let's thanks. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it. Check it out. Well, I'm walking into the lion's mouth today because a lot of you ask questions about sexuality and especially uh, the topic of same-sex marriage because that is the topic du jour. So let me give you a couple of questions that came in, many came in, but these two sort of frame, they sort of bracket the whole discussion. So here's the first one. How can we as parents address issues such as homosexuality, free sex, transgender, and the wide array of socially acceptable relationships? 
It seems like kids are all about the acceptance of anyone and the freedom to engage in a relationship with anyone. It brings to questions in their minds about uh, Christianity as something they want to be part of. And, and I think we all, wherever you come down, whatever you believe, I think we all sort of understand that. That parents today are struggling to know how to talk to their kids. And this person is also asking a question. Is Christianity hate speech or is the Bible hate speech and, and because it, here's the thing and, and this could be true of any age I mean it could be that you're really wrestling with do I want to be a Christian if I consider Christianity intolerant and especially if you're under 25 you're probably especially got a lot of pressure to deal with that is Christianity intolerant and as such do I want to be part of something that's intolerant so that's that's sort of where the first question is coming from and, and I get that it's a great question the second question I absolutely love and here's the question why don't Christian churches teach more tolerance when it comes to judging gays and homosexuals? After all, isn't all sex outside of marriage still a sin? I worry that we're driving good, loving, hungry Christians away. Now, I don't know if you feel it. I'm a church leader, so with all these questions, I feel this sort of peculiar dilemma because those two questions basically communicated or hinted at two different outcomes. The first one hinted that churches are too silent. We don't know how to talk to our kids. We're not getting answers that we need from church. And so, Mark, would you answer this question so I'll know how to talk to my kids? Church is too silent. On the other hand, the second question sort of hands at the idea that Christianity and churches are too loud and too strident uh, and driving good people away because they're beating the drums of intolerance. And these questions are not just coming from new springers. These questions, as you know, and that, again, whatever pers perspective you come from, I think you understand these are the things that are swirling around our culture today. Is Christianity intolerant or is it too silent? Is it, is it one or the other? You know, Is Christianity not answering our questions or is it hate speech? Well, I'm going to give you the only thing in this message that's my personal opinion. And I, I set that aside because I'm well aware of the fact that you guys, many of you drive halfway across the state to get here. I know you don't come to hear my opinion. You come to hear something a lot more important than that. So I just want to give you my opinion and get off of it real fast. I think a large part of our problem is in America, we've stopped doing two things. First of all, we've stopped thinking. We just hit a position and it's like, well, you can't think anymore. This is the thing that you have to think. Whether you come from a traditional religious perspective or if you come from a socially progressive perspective, it's like, here's the party line. You can't think anymore. I think that's a real sad, sad place to be. And the second thing that we can't seem to do any, anymore is we can't talk. We can't dialogue. It's like, if someone has a viewpoint I don't agree with, and I shut them out and I don't listen to them. Uh, former mayor of New York, Bloomberg, was at Harvard this week, and he made that point. And Lord knows I don't agree with a lot of Bloomberg's politics, but, but I agree with what he said at Harvard. He was making the point that a lot of commencement speakers in the United States this year have been disinvited and asked not to come because there's some aspect of their viewpoint that's been deemed politically unacceptable by the students. And so consequently, they've silenced them. And Bloomberg said, when do we get to the place, and by the way, these were all mainstream people, Bloomberg was asking, when do we get to the place that we can't hear people we disagree with? And that's a scary place to be. And for me, this is a whole big part of the issue that we're dealing with today and going to the dilemma, is the church too loud or is the church too silent? Throughout my life, I've read pretty much everything I could get my hands on. I did it even as a kid. I remember when I was in seventh grade, Forest Oak Middle School in Fort Worth, I went into the library one day to look for a book. And I still remember seeing a particular book. And the title just got my attention. It was just 1984. Well, when I was 11, it was 1967. So I thought, 1984, wonder what it'll be like in 1984. That was my introduction to George Orwell. 
and I wound up reading 1984. By the way, how many of you have read any of Orwell's books, 1984, Animal Farm, any of you? you should, nobody should be able to get out of high school and definitely shouldn't be able to get out of college without reading Orwell. That's just my opinion, okay? So I read 1984, and in that, if you've never read it, it's about a utopian future society in which there's one culture, one world, government, and everybody has to toe the party line or they're an outcast. And setting that aside, though, there was a particular aspect of this culture that Orwell talked about in regard to the way people spoke. And everyone spoke a language called newspeak. Now, I, I've gone to the Wikipedia page to pull up the definition for newspeak. And I don't know what you think, but to me, it's sounding pretty, pretty similar to the way the culture is functioning today. Here's the Wikipedia definition of newspeak. It's the fictional language in the novel 1984 written by George Orwell. It is a controlled language created by the totalitarian state as a tool to limit freedom of thought and concepts that pose a threat to the regime, such as freedom, self-expression, individuality, peace, etc. Any form of thought alternative to the party's construct is classified as thought crime. We're nearly there. I think Orwell would be interested to see where the culture is in 2014. To make something more modern, just the other day there was the NFL draft and um, Michael Sam is the first openly gay player to be drafted. He was drafted in the NFL draft and all the cameras were there and, and they caught something that many of the news media organs have, have presented to us. Michael Sam in a, a, a kissed his boyfriend with a, with a cake smeared kiss and a Miami Dolphin player tweeted, horrible. Now, I want to tell you this, I think all cake smeared kisses are horrible. <laughs> I don't want to see any of them with anybody. But I mean, I, I mean, that's not the, I mean, maybe social, social media sometimes goes too far, but I didn't think that was the worst thing in the world that could be said about that. And yet, and, and this is, I got this from the, from the media this week, Don Jones, he's the Miami player, was fined, excused from team activities until he undergoes sensitivity training. How Orwellian. See, here's the thing. We're sort of like the frog boiling in the water. I mean, you know, the water was warm when we first got in it, but it's getting hotter and hotter, and it's, it's starting to boil. And a lot of us, we don't need, we're not paying attention to what's going on. Our culture is changing. Then I'm concerned. Whatever point of view you have, I'm concerned that we're not thinking and we're not talking because whatever else we do, we, do, we need to do those two things. So I, I sort of get it. I mean, you know, when it comes to speaking on the topic of sexuality, a lot of churches, a lot of pastors are afraid of the thought police, and they won't talk. On the other hand, you have some churches and ministers that are speaking out, and they speak out in a hateful, hurtful, harmful way, do more damage than good. So I sort of understand why it's too silent, it's too loud. But for better or worse, here we go, because you asked the question. And guys, I got a lot of flaws, but I'm not a coward. And so if you ask me a straight question, I'll do my best to give you a straight answer. And I know, you, and I'm not, I'm not asking you to agree with me. I'm not, you may agree with part, you may agree with all, you may disagree with all. That's, that's totally your prerogative. My only responsibility is someday I have to answer before God for being honest with you and being truthful with you to the extent that I, I believe is truth. And so you can do with that what you want to. So here we go. Let's talk about the issue of sexuality and especially a lot of my questions were along the lines of same-sex marriage or homosexuality. I think we have to understand two things before we can answer the question. I think we need to take in the context two issues. 
The first issue that you and I need to take into context with is that we are part of a journey. We're part of a cultural, sexual journey that's been taking place in our nation for a long period of time. Same-sex marriage is just the topic du jour. Other topics have come before. Other topics will come in the future. And eventually we will work through this issue of same-sex marriage. I'm, I'm looking at the culture. I'm guessing I think I know where the culture is going here. We will work through this, and we will go on to other things. So you and I need to understand this is broader than just checking the box on this one particular topic. There is a journey that we've been on. I was talking about this not too long ago, and I, I just, honestly, I have a lot of gay friends who, who ask me this question. They say, Mark, you don't agree with gay marriage or same-sex marriage. And they'll ask me, why can't two people, after all, the Bible is about love, why can't two people who love each other get married? It's about marriage equality. It's about marriage freedom. What's wrong with two people who love each other getting married? And I just shot from the hip that day, and I said, why two? Because if you're changing the rules about who can get married, who's to say it has to be two? Why couldn't it be three, five, or 12? Because most people, you say, well, Mark, I'm, I'm sort of open to same-sex marriage, but I don't know about three people getting married. Strange, isn't it, how we can draw the lines where we want to draw them? Well, again, I, th I was just having fun with the audience. I didn't know that last month there was going to be a, a feature article of New York Post that said married lesbian thruple, T-H-R-O-U-P-L-E, expecting first child. And I read the article, and the opening line was, here come the brides. And there were three women, all dressed in wedding dresses. And one of them said, in our eyes, we're all married. And it's not humorous, I know, but I just couldn't help myself. I have a far side mentality. Sort of laughing about the order of who kissed who first. Here's the problem. What we have to understand is that we're part of a journey. And all of us probably have been affected by it in some fashion. And I love the question this person was asking, who asked here at New Spring, why don't Christian churches teach more about tolerance when it comes to judging gays and homosexuals? After all, isn't all sex outside of marriage sin? I like this question. I'm not sure exactly the questioner was going here, but here's what I read in from that. Why do we pick on one particular community? Because the fact of the matter is this issue is much broader than just one particular community to which I could not agree more heartily. Well, when I get asked the question, I usually get asked from media types or someone who's wanting to know. The question, you know, is it right or is it wrong, same-sex marriage? I'm, usually, I'm either getting asked by a secular progressive who's trying to determine if I've got the politically correct answer, or I'm getting asked by a religious fundamentalist who wants me to straighten everybody else out. I can check the box for you. If you're asking me, is it right or wrong, biblically speaking, it's a pretty easy thing. I can check that box for you. But I don't think we're going to get anywhere with that until we look at the reality that we are part, as I said, of a long journey. Let me give you an example. This is not a good example, but it's the best one I can think of. Suppose you set out to come to New Springs some Sunday morning, and you make a wrong turn, and then you make another wrong turn. And there's one way to get certifiably lost. It's just make a series of wrong turns. So let's say for a couple of days you make wrong turns and you keep traveling and you wind up in Cleveland. I don't know why I pick on Cleveland. We're supposed to love every American city. Cleveland, for me, takes a little more effort. So let's just, if you're from Cleveland, I'm sorry. Uh, let's say you wind up in Cleveland and you call me on the phone and you say, Mark, I'm at such and such intersection. I need to get to New Spring. Do I turn left or right? No, technically, there's a correct answer to that question. But it won't make any sense at all unless you embrace the fact that you've taken a journey that's put you a long way away from home. So if you're asking me, is same-sex marriage, is it right or wrong? I can check that box. There's technically a correct answer to that. But we need to realize that we're on a long journey that's taken us a long way 
away from home. And so for a few moments, I want to just take a few moments to talk about that journey and see if it doesn't bring us to a place of context. When it comes to the issue of sex, there was a time in our culture when it was expected that if two people walked down the aisle to get married, both of them would be virgins. I know I just spoke in prehistoric terms to a lot of you, and a lot of you chuckle at that idea that people would wait until they got married in order to have sex. But there actually was a time in our culture when that was expected. And a guy who slept around, culture looked down on him. They called him in those days a cad. And for a woman who slept around, there were terms for her. You can, you can guess what some of them were. That was expected. Marriage was considered holy. Marriage was considered something sacred and precious. With some of you, you come from a religious tradition where it was even a sacrament. So marriage was holy. But you know how it is. You know, people are people. And, and as we begin to evolve in, in sexual ideas and thoughts, there were people that said, why should I spend my whole life with somebody I don't find fun anymore? And there were guys who decided they wanted to be with a younger, hotter woman, and their wife was in the way. The only thing is, they couldn't just sleep around because there was taboo. That marriage is for sex. And so back in the day, the idea had to be, we've got to find a way to get out of a marriage and into another one easier than it is. This is, a gen this is a situation that most of us have never heard of. Do you realize in America there was a day if you wanted to end your marriage and start a new one, you had to go to court and show cause that there was a legitimate reason to break up something as sacred and holy as a marriage? Well, you know, after all, there were those who looked at that and thought, well, that's draconian. That's unpleasant. That's discriminatory. Why should anybody have their dirty laundry aired in public like that? That's not a good thing. And the Bolsheviks were the first one to come up with the idea of no-fault divorce. But do you realize that we didn't have no-fault divorce in the United States until 1969? And of all people, Ronald Reagan signed it into law in the state of California. He would later say it was the greatest mistake he ever made in politics. He would sign into law no-fault divorce in which people could go into court and say, who cares who's at fault? We just want to break up this marriage and start a new one. Well, I sort of understand a little bit of the background for that because, after all, it is painful to air dirty laundry in public. But I will say this. If you've been part of a divorce and you were the innocent party and you didn't want the divorce and maybe your husband just found somebody he liked better than you and threw you aside. I, I was on an airplane with a lady last week. She told me, she said she was married for 46 years and her husband just dumped her. And she said, I still don't know why. If you've been in that situation, you know the unfairness of having to go into court and go in as an equal partner, or equal party with the person who just blew your life up. And to go in and talk about sharing resources and sharing custody with somebody who basically electively just decided that you were no longer worthwhile and threw you aside. So you understand how unfair something that appeared to be gracious was. Well, all this time, kids are smart. Kids can figure things out. The kids of these parents who were rewriting the rules about marriage and divorce, the kids said, hey, wait a minute. Marriage is not near as holy as my parents have told me it is because I'm watching them go in and out of relationships with divorce. So here's the deal. Maybe I can avoid that first bad marriage by just sleeping around. And who knows? I mean, after all, this became uh, part of our culture. Who knows? Maybe the best thing to do is just to move in with the person I'm sleeping with. We can share expenses. It's kind of a tryout. Maybe it'll lead somewhere. Maybe it won't. And now that's become norm, the norm here in the United States. In fact, I hear parents all the time recommend to their single kids, hey, before you get married, in other words, let me translate that, before I spend megabucks on the wedding, <laughs> why don't you just move in and see if you're sexually compatible? Hey, that's very much part of our culture today. Do you realize there was a time when that was called shacking up? But today, 
It's very acceptable in our culture. And then on top of that, you know, there, there were people that were going to church and looking the part, you know, one, man, one woman, one, one man, one lifetime, and bless God, I believe what the Bible teaches. But at home, they're on porn. Because after all, porn is no longer in the sleazy shops. Porn is there with, on your television or on the Internet. And then with social media, which has a lot of positive benefits, with social media, there was an opportunity to connect with the people from our past or connect with other people. And you know, next thing you know, even people that are upstanding people when it comes to relationships, apparently they're having emotional affairs and real affairs. And while all this journey is going on, for all of you and for all of us who are heterosexual, we have to realize the gay community was standing back watching that and saying, if you guys can change all your rules, if you heterosexuals can change all your rules to turn what was unacceptable into acceptable, why can't we? And I may not agree with the gay agenda, but I, I certainly am sympathetic and understand their viewpoint. If, if the heterosexual community can change their rules at will, why can't we? And all the time this decline is going on, the one place, the one source that could have spoken truth into the situation, the church, its voice was muted because the church had the same stuff going on inside of it that was going on outside its walls. People inside the church were doing the same things people outside the church were doing. My goodness, a lot of singles groups are nothing more than hookup stations. And let's go to the fact that a lot of leaders have let us down. How many days do you open the newspaper and there's not some story about some church leader, some pastor somewhere who's in a scandal? It breaks my heart to tell you this today, but 40% of pastors say they have a problem with porn. Think about that. 40% of pastors say they have a problem with porn. 23% of pastors told Christianity Today that they have, been, they have engaged in an inappropriate relationship with someone other than their spouse. And that's where we are. And by the way, this journey is no accident. Powerful forces in our culture preach to you every day that you should change the way you look at sex and be more open to practices that otherwise were, or before, beforehand were deemed inappropriate. I was in Los Angeles a good part of this week. And I was working with a group of pastors who were planting churches in underserved areas in LA. 19 million people in LA in a handful of churches, really, that are making a huge difference, and especially as you get close to the coast. Now I was in places like Beverly Hills, Brentwood, Hollywood, El from there to El Segundo, to the Arts District downtown, to the Skid Row. And in the process of time, I met a lot of church leaders, and many of them, in, in the, especially in the Hollywood, Santa Monica area, are they're bivocational. They work in the entertainment industry, but they're also Christian leaders starting churches in many cases. And I'm privileged to talk to one guy, and, and he was telling me, he said, you know, he said, um, and this guy's been he's successful himself. He was just in a commercial you've probably seen on television. This guy was telling me, he said, I was in the car the other day with one of the top writers in Hollywood, one of the top TV writers. He said, he, he's top writer for a couple of shows. He said, I'm sure you watch. And so my friend said, when he had this writer in the car, he asked him, he said, do you go to church? And I said, no, nah, I don't go to church. He said, you know, I grew up in the South, went to a Baptist church when I was a kid, but he said, I got rid of all that junk. He said, you know, he said, what just burns me up 
is all these crazies who think Jesus is everything. And he said, but I do my part. Well, my friend thought that he was saying, I still find a way to be good even though I don't go to church. So he asked him to clarify. He said, what do you mean by I do my part? He said, every episode I write, I do something. I write something to debunk the crazies who think that Jesus is everything. Well, I've suspicioned that for years. But it was something to hear it straight from a guy who writes shows that you and I probably watch. Well, if the Bible teaches us anything about this slide that we're on, it teaches us that unless something changes as a culture, we're headed for trouble, we're headed for judgment. But we got the worst possible problem. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20 in the message puts it in a way that we can really get it. It says, doom to you who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness in place of light and light in place of darkness. See, if there's something messed up in my life, which I'm sure there are many things, what I need somebody to do is I need someone to come and call me to account for it. I need someone to speak truth into my life, and so do you. See, the thing of it is, we live in a culture today in which what we want is somebody to affirm us. But if we're going the wrong direction, what we need is we need someone to stop us and help us get turned around. Well, the problem is, in our country today, we desperately need to get stopped on this slide. We desperately need to turn around. But all of a sudden, good is now bad, and bad is now good. That's a terrifying place to be. I want to do something for a few moments. I want to give you a proof. I want to give you a construct. And I want to give it to you line by line. And the interesting thing is probably all of us have bought into this at some point. Some of you may have bought into it totally. But I want you to see it. I want you to look at it. I want you to walk through the evolution of it. Okay, you ready? Here we go. Here's the first point of the construct. To love is to approve. To love is to approve of. God is loving. We know that from the Bible. Therefore, God must approve of everything or everyone. If I'm a God follower, I am loving. Therefore, I approve. To disapprove of conduct is to hate. Any message that's disapproving of conduct is a hate message. Therefore, the ultimate act of hate is to make someone feel uncomfortable about their conduct. And our culture is bought in that lock, stock, and barrel. And guys, I love you enough to tell you there's one word that sums that up, and it's the word insane. <laughs> I will assure you, you love people very much who have conduct that you don't approve of. I will go so far as to say anybody that you love and know very well, they do something you don't approve of. You may not approve of things I do, and I assume you love me. If you knew me very well, you would have a lot more to disapprove of. I don't even approve of stuff I do. <laughs> and just in case you think it's just me being an extraordinary sinner, the Apostle Paul, who wrote 13 books out of the 27 books of the New Testament, here's what he said about his own life. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Well, if Paul hates the stuff he does and disapproves, does that mean he hates himself? Of course not. 
hey guys, this construct is, goes back to the Orwellian thing. It's all invented as a way to silence anybody who says something that's not politically correct with the utopia. So the first thing before we deal with this question, is it wrong or is it right, we have to understand it's part of a journey that we've been on and we're going to continue on after this particular issue is resolved. But here's the second thing and the most important. If someone is asking me, Mark, about same-sex marriage or about same-sex relationships, is it right or is it wrong? You need to ask yourself, do you want to know for political or religious reasons? I'll stop right there. If you come from a secular progressive standpoint and you're wanting me to, <laughs> if you're wanting me to prove myself worthy of your time, then you may be coming and saying, I want you to check that box. Tell me what you believe about this before I deem, it's kind of like the people Bloomberg talked about, before I deem whether or not I will listen to you. Or you could come from a religious fundamentalist perspective and you're asking the question, is it wrong or right? Because I want you to straighten out all these secular progressives. <laughs> Please don't take any offense at me, but I'm not really interested in answering that question for either one of you. I want to answer this question for one group of people. And that is, do you want to please God? Because at the end of the day, that's really all that matters about this experience. I assume you're here because you want to know how to please God. I'm assuming that you're not here to get your politics in shape or to get your religion in shape. You're here because you want to please God. And so that's the question I'm asking. It's not about what your political persuasion is or even what your religious feelings are. Do you want to know because you want to please God? Because at the end of the day, you realize we're not, when we die, five seconds after we die, we're not going to an election on a referendum here. We're, we're going to stand before God. And if God cares about this, then we need to kind of know what he's thinking. And if he doesn't care about this, I'm wasting your time. Or if there is no God, I know clearly I'm wasting your time. You know, our opinions shift. And this is the thing. We're all talking about this. Wherever you come down on this, our opinions are so quickly shifting here in the United States. For instance, let me give you a quote. Marriage has a historic and religious and moral content that goes back to the beginning of time. And I think a marriage is as a marriage. Marriage has always been between a man and a woman. Jerry Falwell? That's Hillary Clinton. So our opinions are changing quickly. But at the end of the day, I'm not sure that it, I mean, maybe it matters with American politics. Okay. But I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with the larger question. What, what about God? I don't know everything about God. I've never told you that I was a scholar. I'm a student like you. But I understand one thing very clearly from the Bible. God made this a perfect world. Sin screwed it up. You and I live in a situation where we're in a relationship with God, but in a messed up world. Now, here's the thing. In any situation in your life, be it sex, money, time, management, whatever, in any area of your life, when you get closer to God's design, things are going to go well. When you take a step away from God's design, things aren't going to go as well. So for a few moments, I want to take us to the scriptures, and I want us to look at God's design. And so I'll just read these, and then you can sort of do with them what you will. This is where it all started in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper or a companion suitable for him. The word suitable in Hebrew is interesting. It means opposite. Somebody could say, well, that explains my marriage. <laughs> what it just means is God is saying, I'm going to make someone for the man. I'm going to make someone for the woman. They're going to correspond to each other. 
So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. That was a euphemistic statement, which just means they had no sexual inhibition because they were functioning purely in God's design. So if you want to see God's design, there it is. And I have, I have gay friends who even come from a theological perspective, and my friends will say, well, hey, Mark, Jesus never really talked about it, but he sort of did. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus said, haven't you read the scripture? Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. So if you come to the question, is it right or is it wrong? We, the right thing is God's design. The wrong thing is to step away from God's design in any fashion. You know, I want to touch on an area that I struggle to understand, and I don't know that I'll fully understand this till I get to heaven. But since you and I are living in a culture in which there's a slide, and I think this, I think probably most, if not all of us, have been affected by this. I'm guessing that with most of us, there's some sexual issues in our past or in our life, either in what we thought, who we've been with, or whatever. I'm guessing we've been affected by this. And in a culture like you and I live in, I'm not trying to give us a pass, but in a way, we're sinners, and yet in a way, we're also victims of this culture. Because as our culture slides, it puts us in a situation where we're more predisposed to fall into that slide. When I talk about this subject, one chapter helps me understand things more than anything else. And as I said, I'm sure God will judge us all appropriately because he knows what's on our background and he knows the issues that we've dealt with. But in Romans chapter 1, the Bible tells us how a culture gets to the place where it asks the questions that our culture is asking. In Romans 1, it says they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. And claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. I love the Greek there. Claiming to be wise, sophos, we got a word sophisticated from that. Claiming to be sophos, they became moros. Guess which word we get from that. Honestly, I believe you can put that on the tombstone of our culture whenever it dies. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies, all kinds of sexual dysfunction. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. In other words, if a person just insists on going away from God... God will finally say, okay, you can go. Scariest thing that can happen. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relationships with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did things with shameful things with other men. Now I want to skip down to verse 28 because I want you to understand this isn't just about homosexuality. It's just pulled out as an illustration. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking. And let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. So you understand, we're not just talking about sexual sins here. We're talking about a wide range of sin. 
Now, how does a culture get to that place? Well, we just saw it. First of all, a culture says, God, we don't want you anymore. God, you're no longer a useful hypothesis. Well, Lord knows America's done that and is in the process of doing it even more. Hey, I grew up in public school in Texas. And as far back as the 60s and 70s, the prevailing idea of how we got into this world is a cosmic accident. God's no longer useful. And you take God out of the picture, the lights go out. Lights go out, you can't see. You can't see, you do, you do, you do crazy things. Basically what happens is if you lose a designer, you lose the design, you lose the design, you lose functionality. And that is why we are where we are in America today. One more time, I want to go back to the question I love so much. Why don't Christian churches teach more tolerance when it comes to judging gays and homosexuals? After all, what a great question. Isn't all sex outside of marriage still a sin? I worry that we're driving good, loving, hungry Christians away. And that may be true. I hope not. If you're holding a Bible or if you have a Bible, the message of your Bible is simply this, that sin wrecked this world and we're all sinners and we all need a Savior to forgive us of our sin. Here's the thing. You, you, you don't deal with same-sex attraction. You deal with something. If same-sex attraction is not your problem, then you have something that you're dealing with. Every single one of us does. Every one of us was born into this world broken, and we were born with predisposition towards sin. I was born with ADD. My ADD is no sin, but my fear is. And I need a Savior. And so today, I just would say to you today and for all of us, no group of sinners can point at any other group of sinners and say, you guys are worse than we are. Can we just accept that and embrace that? When it comes to sinners, sin is sin. And if you're in a different group than I'm in, I can't point at you and say, you're worse than I am. And you can't point at me and say, I'm worse than you are. We're all sinners. And so I would just say to anyone who's struggling with anything here today, if you'll struggle with it, God will help you. And he loves you and he's merciful. The second thing I need to tell you is what the kindest person who ever lived said. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many that go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. I know you can walk out of here and travel any road you want to travel, and that's right. I think that's good. I'm, I'm grateful God has given us free will. Guys, no matter how much I love you, I can't take the sign off the narrow road and put it on the broad road. If you're traveling the broad road, I can't take the sign off the narrow road and say, you're okay now. There's a verse in the Bible in 1 John 1 verse 9 that says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful to forgive us. The word confess is one of the most interesting words in the Bible. It comes from two Greek words that are jammed together. Homo, H-O-M-O, -O, and Lego. Lego means I speak or to speak. Homo is the same. So God is saying, Mark, if you say the same thing about your sin that I say, I will, I will forgive you and cleanse you. So if you're here today, no matter what sin you're wrestling with, if you'll bring it to God, God will help you. The one thing you and I can't do is flip God off and say, how dare you tell me what I'm doing is wrong. That we can't do. Can't take the sign off the narrow road put it on the broad road. And that's true for all of us. It's true for me. I'm out of time, so I, I want to go to a particular place. 
Somebody could be here today and you say, Mark, I'm gay. As you can imagine, this has not been fun talk for me. And I, I would get that. But if you're here today and you say, and I know we have many gay people who attend New Spring. And you say, Mark, I'm gay. What would you say to me? And the first thing is, this could ring hollow, and I understand that it could, but it's still true. First thing I will say to you is, I love you very much, and I'm honored that you're at New Spring. And even though you're in a church that believes what it believes, I'm so honored that you would give us a seat at your table, and you would give us a chance to speak, to talk. So I love you very much, and I'm honored that you're here. The second thing I tell you is what I share with all my gay friends. When someone tells me I'm gay, when they make that statement, it always kind of makes me sad. Because the second thing I want to tell you is you're so much more than the way you have sex. Sex is a behavior. And if you would say I'm gay, I would say you're so much more than the way you have sex. Why sum up everything you are with just the way you have sex? You're a man or woman that's made in God's image with gifts and abilities and destiny. You're so much more than the way you have sex. The third thing I would say to you is very personal. I would just ask you, why don't you join me at the foot of the cross Shoulder to shoulder, center to center. Why don't you just join me at the foot of the cross as two sinners who need a Savior? I may not have your problem, and you may not have my problem, but we both have issues. And why don't you just join me there at the foot of the cross and look up into the face of a Savior who loves you and me more than you and I can imagine? I want to close this service today by giving everyone a chance to have a relationship with God because the Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved. And the promise is that God will forgive us of any sin if we will bring it to Him. We just can't flip Him off. But if we're willing to bring our dysfunction to Him, He will help us. And more than that, He will forgive us. And he will make us eternally His. So I'm going to pray a prayer. If you want to pray it with me, you're welcome to join me. And the important thing is not that you say the words. The important thing is what you mean from your heart. You ready? Dear God, I know I'm broken. I'm a sinner. But I believe Jesus died for my sin. I believe you love me unconditionally. I believe Jesus rose from the grave. I ask you to be my Savior, Lord God. I ask you to adopt me into your family. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, I'd love for you to receive a gift. I have a gift packet for you that's got a DVD, a book I wrote, and a coupon for a new Bible. Please come get that. You need to go back to guest services in the middle of the lobby or the one back by the coffee shop. Next week, start the biggest series I've ever been part of. Jonah, see you very soon. God bless.